Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of amazing dining experiences. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. How's it going, buddy? How you feeling? I'm feeling fantastic. I'm glad to hear that. What'd you eat today? Let's start there. Oh, I had uh, fried noodles with bell peppers for lunch. Sounds good. Did, was there some sort of sauce on them or anything? Yeah, it was like oil, I think a little bit of uh, ginger, and some soy sauce. Sounds good. Whatever they cooked at work, it was good. Nice. And I had a uh, margarita pizza for dinner. Tell me about that. It's like a frozen, frozen vegan pizza. I needed something mm. I could eat quickly without having to cook too much. I see. It was good. So I heard the magic word in there. You said vegan pizza. What, 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 what's a vegan pizza, Paul? It is a pizza that contains no products derived from animals. Fascinating. Who knew? <laughs> Everyone listening now. All right. Well, that was my clumsy segue into talking about uh, a vegan, vegan diet. Because, Paul, you're vegan. I think you've mentioned that a few times before on the podcast. It's come up a couple times. Yeah. And that relates to the topic of today's episode. We're talking about visiting Japan with dietary restrictions, one of which is the vegan diet. Yeah. So don't get too worried. We're only going to talk about veganism a little bit. This isn't going to be a whole episode of Paul preaching veganism. Exactly. We're going to talk about many different types of dietary restrictions. That is right. And Jason, I just want to take a minute to thank one of our listeners, Isabel, for giving us the idea inspiration for this episode. Viewer requests are always really wonderful because then we know someone is interested in it and maybe it gives us an idea that we wouldn't have thought about ourselves. Definitely. Thank you, Isabel. This is a great topic suggestion. And before we get too far in here, I just want to say I do not have any dietary restrictions. I will eat pretty much anything you put in front of me as long as it's not going to kill me or make me sick. But I will, I will eat, I'll eat some weird stuff. I've seen you do it. What's the weirdest thing you've seen me eat? I mean, I'm in on this one too, honestly. Remember when we went and got cow brain curry? I knew that's where you were going to go. I mean, where yeah. else could I go? I know. It was pretty good, though. Those avocado smoothies that we got oh. there too, though, that was like... Those were incredible. Actually really good. Yes. The uh, cow brain was like so fatty. I didn't, I didn't like it at all. I don't mind fatty. The, the flavor was fairly good in the curry, but... Yeah, I mean, it mostly tasted like curry. Yeah, and we did not get mad cow disease, so that was good. Yep. yep. Um, so another thing I wanted to say before we get started is, because I'm an omnivore, it feels a little bit weird sitting here and pretending that I'm an authority on these uh, dietary restrictions we're going to talk about, you know? Like, if you have a dietary restriction, you obviously know much, much more about what you can and cannot eat than I do. I was I do. actually thinking about that. I was like looking up a little bit so I knew exactly kind of what the definitions of some of these things were. And I was like, when we're talking about this, though, these people are going to know. Yeah. Or if we talk about the keto diet, they're going to know better than I do what exactly the keto diet is. Yeah. I needed some understanding to be able to understand the advice and information we're going to give related to it, though. Yeah. So I wanted to, you know, find a way to stay away from 
something that feels like mansplaining, but like omnivore-splaining, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right. And also, you know, I went into my research thinking that it was going to be easy to just like come up with a list of foods, like, okay, here, here's just a list of things that you can find in Japan that you can eat, you know, depending on your, your diet. But I was kind of shocked at how difficult it was to do that because there are no absolutes. Like, you can't just say, oh, this food is always safe. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I hear you say that makes me happy. <laughs> you finally understand my struggle, bro. Yeah. I know I was... being vegan is my own choice. So it's a struggle I bring on myself willingly. But still, you're right. Like, oh, this thing's usually probably vegan, but it is so hard to know for sure sometimes. Yeah. There are no absolutes. And I have a lot of loved ones with various dietary restrictions. And I have a newfound respect for how difficult that can be to deal with. Yeah. So I actually work in a natural foods grocery store. So we specialize in a lot of allergen-friendly, gluten-free, organic stuff that people with restricted diets are looking for. We provide that space for the community. So it's something I deal with a lot in my day-to-day -day life but I'm definitely not still an expert on everything because there's many different diets and many different interpretations of diets. And then even within those diets, people hold themselves to different levels of strictness. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a very personal thing. We're just going to provide some general information. Definitely. And uh, I don't know, maybe just some reassurance that whatever your dietary restriction, you can survive in Japan. You know, there are options out there. But let's not sugarcoat it. First thing I have in my notes here, just kind of general stuff, is that dietary restrictions can make things pretty difficult if you're visiting or living in Japan. And there are a lot of reasons for that, like reasons why it might be more difficult in Japan than a lot of other places. So one reason is that the people serving you food in Japan probably just aren't really used to hearing about this kind of stuff. Like I feel like it's kind of in the public consciousness in America but in Japan, it's not so much of a thing to like ask people to accommodate you. Yeah, that is not a part of their culture, to go to a restaurant and ask for accommodation. There's not many people in Japan that express dietary restrictions like this. There's just not many people walking around saying, I'm a vegan, or I'm on keto diet, or I'm gluten-free. You know, there are some for sure, but it's not as big of a thing as in some other places in the world. Yeah. And a lot of Japanese restaurants focus on a very specific style of food or even a specific dish. So if a Japanese person does have a dietary restriction, they might just choose to go to places that they know, you know, the main thing that they offer is going to be okay for them. So yeah. Instead of going to some random restaurant and asking, okay, what do you got for me? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the general thought. If you go to a restaurant that makes something using an ingredient you don't want, like, why did you go to that restaurant? You yeah. should have just gone somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So asking at a restaurant for them to leave an ingredient out is just not a normal thing. Yeah, they might not be willing to mess with their recipe just for you, or they might not, might not even be able to. Like sometimes that ingredient that you can't have is already mixed into their stuff you know they already prepped it that way and there's no way to separate those things yes that's very common 
or they're known for doing something a certain way. They don't want to not do it that way. Like we make this specific dish this way and we've been refining this forever and we've perfected it. I'm not going to leave out a dish and make it worse and put my name on it. Yeah, kind of in that same vein, asking a restaurant to leave out a certain ingredient or make substitutions can actually be seen as disrespectful like to the chef. Yeah, substitutions are probably even worse. Like we're talking about unheard of. Like <laughs> you don't go into a restaurant in Japan and be like, oh, I don't want an egg. Can you put tofu on top instead? Like it just doesn't happen. Yeah. I think this is one of those little cultural differences that kind of might tie back into just the idea of like social harmony and having respect for others. Like in America, you know, some people might expect a restaurant to be able to work with them and accommodate whatever requests they have. But in Japan, it's like you just don't want to make waves. You don't want to make things difficult for other people. So people might be less willing to express these types of preferences. Yeah. I'm actually curious about kind of the rest of the world. I feel like maybe the U.S. is not normal in the fact that we have such customization. Yeah. You know, I go to a Burger King drive through and I'm like, impossible Whopper, no mayo, no onions. <laughs> and it's just like no problem, no big deal. Like the whole restaurant is designed to be able to do that. Yeah. But if you go to like a chain izakaya in Japan, they have things streamlined and designed that employees can just do something the way they're supposed to do it and it always comes out good and they are not set up to do substitutions. They're not set up to change the dish whatsoever. They might even have strict guidelines from the company. You do it this way and only this way and there is no other option. Yeah. We got that American individualism over here for better or worse, you yeah. know? Uh, I brought, I'm bringing up Burger King again. I blame them. Do you remember like when we were kids, they started like these have it your way commercials yeah. or something. You can totally. order whatever you want. We don't care. I was just imagine the cashiers hating their lives, <laughs> having to do all these substitutions, probably the cooks too, but, and that caught on. And then everybody everywhere had to do the same thing. And now you can go anywhere. And I remember, I mean, we both used to work at Subway, the crazy stuff some people would ask for on their <laughs> sandwiches, dude. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I remember subs swimming in mayonnaise. Yeah. And they would get like indignant if you didn't like read their mind and do it the way they imagined their sandwich to be. Mm -hmm. That's just normal in America, but not Japan and maybe not even really anywhere else. I'm not sure. Now that you say that, the have it your way thing, I think I remember in Sendai going to this burger joint and on the window outside, it said something like, we don't do have it your way. You do it our way or you eat somewhere else or something like that. You really? Know? Yeah. In English? Yeah. Wow. All the Americans were coming in trying to <laughs> modify everything. Right. <laughs> it was so bad. They had to put up a sign telling people not to do it. That's hilarious. I feel like it was worded in a more uh, joking kind of way, though. Like, it didn't sound aggressive or anything. It's just like, we do what we do, and that's this is how we do it. Yeah, the burger's going to come out looking like the picture, and yeah. that's, that's how it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> Another reason that things can be difficult in Japan with dietary restrictions is because there are certain ingredients that are just so common in Japanese cuisine that they can be really difficult to avoid, even in foods where you would not expect to see those types of ingredients. 
Japan is great at hiding ingredients. Right. Like, I'm vegan in Japan. Oh, I can, I'm just going to go get a noodle soup with vegetables and tofu. Almost 100% chance that soup is made with some sort of fish stock. Yep. That's just how it is. You'd think, you know, it's only veggies and noodles. I'm good, right? Well, you're not. And that's a, a common theme in Japanese cooking. Yes. But before we get too negative, talk about how difficult things are. I'd want to point out that Tokyo is the biggest city in the world. So no matter what you can or cannot eat, Tokyo is going to have options for you. If you get out into the more rural parts of Japan, you might have less options. But in, in the big cities, you're going to be okay. That's a great point. You might have to go searching something out. But if you're in Tokyo, there's going to be a kosher restaurant somewhere, a halal restaurant somewhere, vegan restaurants out there. Mm -hmm. Like you will be able to find if you're willing to go to it. But yeah, I mean, it's something that I worry about too is with the vegan diet. Like if I go too far into the countryside without hitting a city at least once in a day, I might be eating rice balls from a konbini, you know, and yeah. uh, having real trouble finding like a good meal. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned konbini because that was the last thing I was going to mention here is that konbini can be a lifesaver. Because they're everywhere. So even if maybe you're visiting a city and there's like one or two restaurants that can accommodate you, the kombini is going to have something that can at least get some calories in you when you're, you know, out walking around and you just need some, need some sustenance. The kombini are great for those little snacks to keep you going or when you're in a hurry. And for those that are maybe newer to the podcast, would we say kombini? What are we talking about, Jason? Oh, thank you, Paul. I was even thinking, we, I want to stop assuming that people know certain words, you know, because I feel like we do that a lot. Yeah. Con I just don't want to stop saying konbini because I love the word. It's a and great because word. because I feel like they're better in Japan, so I want to honor that by using the Japanese name. Yeah. But a konbini is a convenience store. Konbini is short for convenience. Yeah. 7-Eleven. Yeah. Or Family Mart, also known as Famima. <laughs> so before we get into specific dietary restrictions, Paul, let's talk about what the modern Japanese diet is like. What kind of food can you expect to see if you're walking around Japan? Lots of rice, fish, seafood, pretty meat-heavy diet. Noodles. Noodles and broth, mini soup-type dishes. Mm-hmm. Rice and noodles are, are major staples. They're going to be in almost every meal. Pickled everything as a side dish is very common. And Paul, like you said, with the, the fish, that's one of those ingredients that's really hard to avoid because obviously Japan is an island country. People have been eating fish there and like mainly fish for a very long time. And it's found its way into all sorts of things. So that fish stock that you mentioned is called dashi. It's just a soup stock made from, it could be made from a bunch of different types of fish. It can be made in a vegetarian way also, or a vegan way. But this dashi stuff is basically going to be the base for almost any soup <laughs> that you find. Yeah, or even a lot of dipping sauces. Mm -hmm. Batters even. I saw that if you're making okonomiyaki, the batter might be made with dashi. I believe it. It's even in omelets. Like you would think, oh, egg. It's just egg. Not vegan, but vegetarian if you're into that. But 
Even that could have fish in there. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, surprising the amount of things you might find that in. Mm -hmm. So as for vegetables, like you said, there are a lot of pickled vegetables, and they can be pickled in a bunch of different ways. But my point here about vegetables is that they can even be prepared in a lot of different ways that involve other ingredients that you might not expect. Yeah, they might be marinated in a sauce that has dashi in it Mm -hmm. or some other thing that's not vegan or not allergy-friendly or whatever your restriction is. Mm -hmm. You might find veggies in soups, maybe fried in tempura. It's not really common to see just steamed veggies on a plate. They're usually prepared with some other stuff. Yes. Salads are a thing. You're going to find salads, but they're usually served with dressing already on them. And those dressings usually have things like mayonnaise and egg. But you can ask for a salad with no dressing, usually. Great. <laughs> I know, it's just like, I, I've thought about that sometimes too. It's like, great, I get a salad with no dressing now. Yeah. Like, I'm eating lettuce. You I'm just eating lettuce. Carry around a little bottle of uh, olive oil or your own homemade dressing. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Another thing that you'll see a lot of places in many different forms is soy. Oh, yeah. Tofu, obviously. Soy sauce, miso, which are all very common ingredients in other things. Those all have soy in them. Mm-hmm. Eggs are used in a variety of ways. You might be surprised some of the things you'll find eggs in. Also shellfish, too. Shrimp and clams can be snuck into a lot of things you might not suspect to find them in as well. So shellfish allergies can be difficult. So I think we've sufficiently scared people with dietary restrictions, right? Yep. But don't worry. It might be a little difficult. You might need to plan ahead a little bit, but it's definitely possible to deal with any dietary restriction, like we said. So for the rest of the episode, we're going to go through specific diets that people might have and just give some tips, some ideas about the types of things you might want to steer towards. Where do we start, Paul? Allergies. Okay. If you've got allergies, it's going to be a little bit difficult. If you have severe allergies, it's going to be very difficult. But you're probably already aware of that. It's probably already pretty difficult wherever wherever you live. (laughs) Right. That sounds terrible, honestly. Having a deadly allergy, I'm so sorry to you, you know, those people. So I, I worked in a restaurant for a number of years as a server, and... When someone told me they had an allergy, it was the worst. Like, oh, crap. I am, like, responsible for not killing this person tonight. And I do not have 100% faith that something's not going to go wrong and kill this person tonight. You know, I would go back and try to explain. Like, obviously, we had procedures in place for allergies, but... They are pushing dishes out of the kitchen. Sauces are flying around all over the place. Plates are flying around. Chefs are moving super fast. I didn't speak Spanish as well as I should have for living in Los Angeles for so long. And not all the chefs spoke great English. So trying to make sure that they really understand that I had a serious allergy or even what was in every ingredient, you would go ask a chef Oh, what's in the verde sauce? Is there 
avocado in the verde sauce and one chef will tell you no and a couple days later a different chef will tell you yes and you're just like oh my gosh i don't know what to do like i worked at a family-owned restaurant so there was no complete list of ingredients anywhere that i could look at Mm -hmm. so yeah it was difficult we did our very best but oh what if the food runner runs the wrong plate out there like there's so many things that can go wrong it's it's tough. I'm so glad I don't have a severe allergy. I'm sorry you had to go through that, Paul, but I feel worse for the people that are actually whose lives are in danger, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I know and it's not like I regretted them coming in or anything. I wanted to give them a good experience like they deserve to live a life like anybody else, but it was stressful trying to make sure that happened. Well, I was doing 20 other things at the same time as well. Sure. I mean, I imagine you just can't trust anyone, you know? You can't put your life in someone else's hand because who, right. who, who do you trust with your life? The people that need it, I think, smartly bring EpiPens with them yeah. for in case they actually need it. You know, at work today, I was talking to a coworker about this exact thing. I have a coworker that has a deathly peanut allergy. Oh, that'd be tough. And uh, like yesterday, she was in the office with this other guy and he was like munching on something. And she's like, oh, what are, you, what are you eating there? And he's like, oh, I got some peanuts. And they just lock eyes and her eyes get real big. And then his eyes get real big. And he's like, oh, man. And then the next day he had carrots instead. <laughs> Do you guys have like manager HR coming around you like don't have peanuts here? Or is it just you're just like common courtesy for her? Yeah, I never heard anything like official from anybody. I just heard directly from her about that. So okay, yeah, she's she probably has to be very vigilant. Yeah, like don't give me anything with peanuts. Don't touch me after you touched a peanut. Yeah, well, he, you know, today he offered her some carrots, and she's like, "I don't want to eat carrots that have been touched by those peanut fingers." You know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so if you have a life-threatening allergy, obviously you need to be extremely careful, especially if it's shellfish. If you're in Japan or eggs or nuts, I don't know, pretty much <laughs> anything, I guess. I'm sorry. It's not funny, but okay. So the point I wanted to make about dealing with this in Japan is if you tell them what you can eat, they might not realize exactly what the implications of that are. Like you said, Paul, you don't necessarily know exactly what the ingredients are in something. All the people that are working at the restaurant you're at might not know. Yeah. And the way they interpret things too. Like if I say, I don't eat fish, they might still give me something with dashi in it. Yeah. I don't see like, any fish in there's there. There's no it's fish just in there. That's just the broth. Like, yeah. that's not fish. Right. Or they, you know, it's a little easier to understand you don't eat meat, but to understand you don't eat anything that came from meat at all is another level of understanding that if you're not familiar with it, you're just not going to have. Right. If you can't eat wheat, it might not occur to them that soy sauce is usually made with wheat, you know? You don't see any wheat in soy sauce, but it's there. Yep. Miso can have barley sometimes, you know? That's another thing is this, a lot of times the keyword is sometimes. There is some good news, though, for our allergy-suffering friends. Japan recently is starting to take allergies seriously, but it's still a little bit new. But if you go to a lot of major chain restaurants, they will have allergy information available if you ask for it, which is pretty cool. So they're moving in that direction, but you're still going to have some problems. 
Not that you don't anywhere else. Like I was just talking about my own experiences surfing. Yeah. You know, maybe the most useful thing I saw in my research, and maybe this is common knowledge. Like I said, I don't want to be omnivore splaining, but there are allergy cards that you can get to show at restaurants that explain what you can not eat. Yes. And there's, I found several places on the internet that can help with this. Some of these cards are free. You just download it and print it out. Some of them you have to pay for, and maybe they have a bit more detail, you know? One that I'll recommend, I saw a website called foodallergycardjapan.com. They have a card that you just download for free, you print it out, and then it has a list of allergies, and you just put a check mark next to your allergy. Okay. That seemed pretty useful. I saw people saying they had pretty good success with those cards, but I think it probably depends on how specific you are. Yeah. Like, if I can't eat peanuts, that might be more straightforward to them than like the I don't eat fish one where there's all these other things made from fish that don't look like fish. So there's still, you still have to trust that level of understanding. Yeah. I and, got the impression that the free cards were most more likely to have just really basic explanations. But if you wanted one that really goes into detail, gives them like a paragraph of like, here's exactly what I cannot eat. You might have to pay for those ones. Yeah. Probably worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was lucky enough to have you helping me. You helped me read a couple ingredients lists on like uh, things at the Combini or read a menu a little bit. Tell me out a little bit last mm -hmm. time we were there. Yeah. Uh, Google Translate can help a lot with that too. These days, I don't know, technology is just amazing, man. Google Translate now has a thing where you, you can just like pull up the camera, point it at an ingredients label, and it translates everything on there in real time. Like, AR, you know, augmented reality. So you're seeing the English words over the packaging. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Although not everything is always listed, or even the allergens are not necessarily always listed on everything. Yeah. Um, going back to the allergy card thing, I just want to mention, no matter what your dietary restriction is, you can probably find a card similar to that in Japanese. So like, you know, we're going to talk about these other dietary restrictions coming up, and you can get cards for those too. It's not just for allergies. However, another point, sorry, Paul, it looked like you were about to say something. Maybe I was. <laughs> I just wanted to point out, you might not want to use an allergy card specifically for foods that you just don't want to eat. Yes. Was that what you were going to say? No. Well, eventually. Okay. Yes. Basically, the idea is if they think it's a life or death thing, they might just say, you know, maybe it's best that you just don't eat here. Yeah. <laughs> like, we like, don't want to. That could wanna, happen. Yeah. We don't want to make a mistake. So if it's just a personal preference, you know, maybe you don't want to go in that direction. Yeah. It can be so difficult for some of these just to really hammer at this point home. There are tour companies that won't accommodate people with shellfish allergies because it's just too difficult and they don't want the burden or the liability or, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So again, not impossible, but you're going to have to be very vigilant on some of these. It's uh, different for everybody though, right? Like a uh, severe allergy is very different from a moderate intolerance, right? Where you'll, you'll survive if you have a little lactose, you just won't feel good for a day or whatever, or if I accidentally eat something that's not vegan, I'm like, oh, shoot, and I'm totally fine. You know, like it's not, uh, not something that's really going to slow me down, right? Right. 
So speaking of which, let's talk about veganism for a while. Okay, I'm going to, I have some stuff, but of course, I'm going to lean pretty heavily on you for this part, Paul. Okay. Should I start with what I do have? (laughs) Sure, sure. So the concept of the vegan diet is still not super well known or well understood in Japan. As we mentioned, a lot of people think that fish flakes or fish-based broths are vegan because, well, there's not a chunk of fish in there. You know, I don't see any fish. They might just consider it a seasoning. They're like, oh, that's not, you know, that's whatever. Milk and eggs also just might not come to mind when you say, oh, I can't have, you know, dairy or eggs. That's all you have? I have more. I just <laughs> I wasn't sure where to put it in here. Let's see. No, that was I mean, fine. That I have, was so good. I, I have a few specific foods to look for. Okay. If you want to sure. start with that. Okay. So one style of food that you can look for is something called shojin ryori, mm-hmm. which is what Buddhist monks eat. And it's always vegetarian. It's a Buddhist thing. And it's sometimes, but not always, vegan. Yeah. You'll want to check on that. It can be a little pricey. That's true. It's a it's like a nice real fancy meal. So maybe not something you want to do every day or certainly not for every meal, but it's incredibly good stuff. Oh yeah. And very worth trying at least once. Yeah, it's one of those types of meals where you get a bunch of little tiny plates with all these different things, so it's like a huge variety of vegetarian food that you get to eat and it's delicious. I've had that at a few temples. Yeah. Another food that can work for you is sushi if you avoid the non-vegan fillings. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people, we've said this before, I'm sure, a lot of people associate sushi with raw fish, but that word sushi actually only refers to that rice. So you can have vegan sushi. Yeah, I had some good ones last time I was there. And that one with the wasabi plant in it, that was good. Yeah. You know, cucumber, avocado you can find. Even though that's not original Japanese sushi, you can find it now. Yeah. Mushrooms or pickled vegetables. There's there's some good stuff you can find. Absolutely. It's actually easier in some ways than sushi at American restaurants, I think. Because with the fusion American stuff, you get more weird stuff like, oh, this one has sweet potato in it. And then it shows up and the sweet potato is dipped in tempura batter and fried, but it doesn't say that anywhere on the menu. Or there's some sauce or other toppings Yeah, there's on some it. spicy mayo sauce on it. Or yeah, they get a little fancy and they throw in things in there like more than just the vegetables. It's like, dude, I just want the vegetables and the rice. Come on. Mm-hmm. And Japan's a little more traditional with the sushi where if you're getting a roll, you're probably just getting the vegetable and the rice and the seaweed. Yep. Another thing I had is tofu. Tofu is delicious. And tofu can be prepared in a ton of different ways, many of which are vegan. Yes. A lot of different forms of tofu, a lot of different dishes that incorporate tofu. Huge variety out there. And you'll see a lot of those in that temple food, the shojin ryori. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your experience, Paul. I want to hear how you navigated Japan. Sure. So I wasn't 100% sure, you know, going the first time as a vegan. I'd been to Japan once not as a vegan, so I had a little bit of an idea of what you could get at Japanese restaurants and what food was available in Japan. But at the time, I wasn't thinking too hard about all the ingredients and everything. So I brought 
a number of like snacks with me, like some protein cookies and some bars and stuff and some nuts <laughs> just so I'd have like something sometimes. I didn't even end up eating all of it, but some of it was nice. Breakfast was hard. Um, most Japanese breakfast, I would fill up on rice. They often had just like plain white rice, which for some reason I'd like for breakfast. I never would have really thought, but it worked for me. But most of the miso soups are not going to be okay. There's going to be a lot of little like fish dishes and stuff like that, egg stuff, omelets. So often I was eating just rice for breakfast, unless I wanted to chance a, maybe they had a roll sitting around that maybe was vegan, maybe wasn't. And, mm. But I'm not much of a breakfast guy anyways, so that wasn't too bad for me. Uh, I never eat breakfast. Yeah. Literally never. So... If there was like a free buffet at the restaurant, I'd have a bowl or two of rice and we'd set out on our way. So what I did for the main part of my meals is every place that we were going, you know, we had an itinerary of kind of where we were going to be. I don't think we knew exactly when we'd eat every day or whatever, but I knew kind of where we would be. And I picked out vegan or vegan friendly restaurants in all those areas and I wrote them down and saved it. So I had a reference of like, where can I go when we're in Nara? You know, where can I go when we're in this part of Tokyo? So that's pretty much what I did. I wrote down a list of like, I don't know, 15 restaurants. And I probably ate at 12 of them <laughs> in our time there. Um, you do have to go out of your way. You know, Jason, you were nice enough to accommodate me and accompany me to a few of these restaurants. And a couple of times we went our separate ways to eat. Mm. I didn't feel like we needed to like stray too far from where we already were, though. Not for most of the places we were, because it's like, oh, there's a vegan restaurant in Akihabara right by the station. Like, okay, that's easy because we're going to be in Akihabara. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we found one. I think we found a vegetarian friendly place or a, ve- a place I could get some vegan near Rashiyama and Kyoto. Like, they were just, you know, we were in the bigger cities. There was only like one or two places in Nara, but it was great. I'm glad I went there. That's the place I embarrassed myself by eating the dessert wrapped in the leaf. It was like, I don't know, it was like wrapped in a spearmint leaf or something. And I just started eating it. It was like mochi inside. And then she's like, no, 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 don't eat the leaf. You unwrap it. And I was like, whoops. But it tasted really good. Yeah, as long as it's not, you know, dangerous to eat, why not? Yeah, yeah, you know, slightly embarrassing, but it was a fantastic meal. So I, that's what I did. I did a lot of planning around kind of the restaurants. But again, we were in Tokyo and Kyoto mostly. Very big difference from the million plus population cities versus being out in the countryside. Yeah. Restaurant wise, at least. Well, I remember we ate somewhere in Himeji too. I mean, Himeji's not a tiny town or anything, but. I feel like if you're looking at a map, as long as you're in the cities that have like decent sized font, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. If there if there's a name on there, if you have a countrywide map and there's a name of a city, you're probably going to be able to find vegan options, right? Yeah. Yeah, but then I had a couple not as good experiences. Like um when we went to oh, the green tea capital, oh, Uji. Oh, Uji. Yeah, we went there and I was kind of hungry and they had all this green tea stuff. And I was like, man, I want some green tea. Finally, I like decided on this place that like had some green tea noodles, soba noodles, I think they were cold. 
And then yeah. it came and there was like a dipping sauce with it, but the dipping sauce had dashi in it. So I was like eating these green tea noodles without really any sauce on them. And it wasn't really very good. And the waitress was like, I don't want to say upset, but she was like flustered that I wasn't dipping the noodle. She kept coming over and be like, you have to dip the noodle in the sauce. She and just I, thought you didn't understand how it was supposed yeah, to be. Eaten. And, and I was just like, no, 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 no. I, I'm not going to do that. And like, it was a little bit uncomfortable. I felt bad about that, Paul, because I steered you towards those noodles because I'm like, you know, we're in the green tea place. We got these green tea noodles. You should try them and just put some soy sauce on them or something. But then after we ordered, I like flipped through the menu more and I found they had like vegan sushi rolls. Yeah. And I was like, oh man. I know. I wanted something green tea though. So I, I took a swing. Sometimes as a vegan, you do that. You take a swing and then you find out, ah, okay, I don't really want to eat this thing. Yeah. And it happened. You know, I ate enough noodles to like get me through to the next delicious meal. I had many, many very delicious meals at vegan or vegan friendly restaurants in Japan. Good. So, and again, it was nice being a vegan. Like I consider myself a strict vegan, maybe not a thousand percent strict, but I try my best, but I do fail sometimes. And if I accidentally would, you know, if I wouldn't have realized there was dashi in that sauce and I would have dipped the noodles, maybe I would have figured it out later and, God, oh shoot. You know, I've been a little bit mad at myself, but I would have I would have lived, you know. Yeah. It would have been okay. So you said you had a list of restaurants. Do you have any recommendations for resources that might be useful for people to find those restaurants? Yeah, the Happy Cow website was the number one best thing. Not only because you could find the list, but because it's popular enough that people update it fairly regularly. So you can see like, oh, someone reviewed this place four weeks ago, it's probably still open and in the same location. Because, you know, restaurants come and go very quickly. It's that type of business. So having multiple people review it and being able to see if anyone was there recently and having pretty reliable addresses and directions to get to the places, even what days is it open? Like, oh, this place is closed on Tuesdays. Well, good to note that, right? So I found it very useful Actually, I'm a little disappointed in myself because when I was there, I was so happy with how everything worked. I was like, when I get home, I'm going to go on Happy Cow and I'm going to rate all these places and I'm going to contribute to the community and I'm going to help build the website. And I never quite got around to it. And now it's like too late and I don't remember all the places were, how good they were and who cares what I rated something I ate five years ago or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. So I'm kicking myself a little bit for using the resource so much and not contributing to helping myself. That's okay, Paul. Forgive yourself. Okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for the permission to forgive myself. I do. I'm not a perfect person. If you had noticed, Jason. You're as close as they can get, buddy. Aw. So you, you too? Is it, did, did you want me no, to? No, you don't have to, uh, okay, don't have to okay, lie okay. to me. I'll just bask in this one for a minute by myself. I just wanted to mention Happy Cow. You said that's happycow.net. Yes, not com. Thank you. There's an app too for your phones now, and it's pretty cool. Awesome. It'll take your location, show you a map, and it has different color coding for all vegan place, all vegetarian place, or like vegan veg friendly. So you can limit your search to exactly how strict you want to be. Awesome. I poked around a little bit, and it looks very useful. Yeah, I use it at home here to find new vegan places to go to. Nice. 
So the last thing I had for vegan diet is some kombini options. Okay. Onigiri. Yeah. Rice balls. Those can work. You got to read the packaging because you never quite know what's inside if you don't. Right. They actually make just plain white rice ones, apparently. I don't think I really noticed those. I had, uh, I don't know, maybe they exist with a little, you know, seaweed, just seaweed and rice. I might have seen that. Yeah. There's a ball Um, of rice wrapped in seaweed. I had luck with sesame ones, you know, just like white rice with sesame seeds coated on the outside. Mm. Okay. I think you said that you really enjoyed the umeboshi ones, right? Correct. Yes. Those are maybe my favorite because like that little tiny pickled plum just packs huge flavor and that whole ball of rice is just like filled with flavor i think it's perfect thing to put inside a rice ball yeah those things are intense you almost need that rice to like spread out the flavor a little bit yeah it's such a perfect balanced dish in that way yeah if you didn't catch that let me say that again umeboshi is a pickled plum it's spelled u-m-e boshi not (laughs) u-m-e-b-o-s-h-i i'm not gonna assume that you know how to spell boshi Okay, another one, edamame. Oh, yeah. Is available in the refrigerated section. And the nice thing about Japanese convenience stores is that they have microwaves there. They'll microwave anything you want them to. So you can get ready to eat edamame, which is little green soybean pods. And you pop the little beans out of the pod, and they're delicious. Yeah. Put a little salt on it, and it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. Also, a common appetizer. You might be able to get that as an appetizer at a lot of restaurants. Um, at every kombini, right by the checkout, there's a hot section. They got hot food that you can take and eat right there. And yeah. uh, I saw that they have hash browns that can be vegan. Yeah. Did you ever try those? No, I don't generally like trust a hash brown because you know it could easily be cooked in oil, but it could be cooked in butter, or they could have put a little milk in it to like soften it up. Too many unknowns for me personally. That's a good point. I saw that specifically you want to get them from Family Mart or 7-Eleven because they both have vegan versions. Okay. But they might still be fried in the same oil as non-vegan stuff. Okay. For me, that's okay. But I know that's not for a lot of vegans. For me, it's like, whatever, I'm not eating that stuff. Yeah. Although I've, I've heard some people complain they feel like they taste the flavor of the fish or the chicken or whatever else is fried in there. Sure. I'm just like, hey, grease, it's good. I like it. Yeah. Same situation with French fries. Yes, yes. As for like packaged, easy, snacky type food, soy joy bars, do you eat those much? It sounds familiar, but I can't recall eating one. They have them here, right? Like they're all over, aren't they? Soy joy? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'd heard of it, but I couldn't remember if I'd seen it here or only in Japan. I don't recall seeing them here. Okay. Maybe if we went to the Asian Mart. Maybe. Maybe that's where I saw them. Mixed nuts, you can find bags of nuts, potato chips, some flavors are vegan. You're going to want to look for like the salt or salt and seaweed ones. Oh, we got some salt and seaweed ones, man. They were good. I remember we were drinking one night from the kombini and got those as a snack. Oh, that hit the spot. Those are awesome. Even if you're not vegan. I wish they sold those here, man. They do at the right Asian market. Yeah, all right. We got to go downtown soon. Yeah. Uh, you can find soybean chips. I don't think I've tried those. Mm, I can't recall yeah. ever doing that. Sweet potato strips. Oh, yeah. Yummy, yummy. Lots of sweet potato stuff in Japan. Oh, yeah. For drinks, 
a lot of uh, soy-based drinks. You can find soy milk, soy milk lattes, almond milk as well. Mm-hmm. Of course, black coffee and tea are all over, and those are generally vegan. Yeah, I'm not a coffee drinker, so I didn't go down that route in Japan, but green tea stuff everywhere, or even like oolong or other teas as well. So, you know, there could be a milk tea, but most of them are, are probably vegan. Mm-hmm. And some of these things, you know, it depends on the brand. Like some brand will be vegan and other brands won't be. So if you Google vegan kombini food, Kombini is K-O-N-B-I-N-I. I found a ton of websites with lists with pictures of all of these vegan things so that you can easily find them. I did look at some of that stuff when I was traveling in Japan, and I found it a little tough sometimes to like actually find the things they mentioned in there. Like Maybe that was seasonal, or that was last year's product, or... This or you, particular store doesn't carry it, or they're out, or the packaging changed. Yeah. But I, I did have some success, too. Ideally, you'd probably want to find a list that has, like, here are the options from this specific kombini chain, yeah, yeah. you know? I think I'd found, like, an Instagram account that was, like, kombini vegan or something, and they would take pictures of, like, random vegan things they found at the kombini, mm-hmm. which was a little bit difficult for me to, like, go back and find, but it was pretty cool. All right, I did say this whole episode was not going to be about veganism. So now that we spent, I don't know how long that was talking about veganism, let's move on. To veganism light, also known as vegetarianism, right? Just go the whole way, guys. <laughs> Dip in your toe in the water. No, sorry. We're sorry, not sorry. judging people. That's Paul. a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> Diet is a very personal thing. And what works for some people doesn't work for other people. So I don't want to... I've made my own choices on my diet, but I don't want to hate on anyone else. But, but vegetarians, okay, what, are you, what, are you, what are you doing? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if you're a vegetarian and you're okay with things like egg and dairy, that's going to open up your options a bit. Yes. I think the egg thing is big. I think some vegetarians go one way or the other on that. If you're okay with egg and you're okay with dairy, you're not going to have that bad of a time. The dashi, the fish stock might be your biggest thing. Right. And if you're okay with that, you're golden. Totally. It's pretty easy to just find anything without meat, obviously, on it, and you're pretty good to go. Yep. Again, the temple food is a perfect option because you know it's going to be vegetarian. Yep. Tempura is fine if you're okay with egg. Mm-hmm. That opens a lot of vegetables up for you that way. Pickled vegetables, also known as tsukemono. Those will be your friend. Mm-hmm. Soba noodles can be really good, especially zaru soba, Z-A-R-U soba, because soba served in that form, it's basically just a pile of noodles on a tray, and mm. then it comes with some sort of dipping sauce. And, you know, you got to find out what's in the dipping sauce, but at least the noodles are going to be safe. You can find vegetarian ramen. You can even find vegan ramen if you look around. Mm-hmm. There are even ramen chain restaurants that specifically have vegan slash vegetarian options. Mm-hmm. Okonomiyaki can work. Again, I mentioned before that that could have dashi in the broth. Or okonomiyaki has so many things, like maybe they put some crab in it or something. I don't know. But most of those types of things, 
you Although can choose. Although it'll save you, yeah, you can choose your ingredients. That's or, the whole point of okonomiyaki yeah. is it has whatever you want just in choose there. one with a bunch of veggies and you're probably all right. Exactly. Mochi. We didn't mention mochi really, right, for vegan, but this couldn't work for both because mochi is basically just rice. Yeah. That's been smashed into a dough. Yeah. I if, mean, a lot of the stuff that goes for vegan goes for vegetarian. Yeah. It's, it's quite a bit easier, I think. Yeah. Uh, last thing I found, if I were vegetarian, I would be eating a lot of curry because curry is freaking delicious. And the biggest curry chain in Japan, it's called Koko Ichibanya. They have an entire vegetarian menu now. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I, uh, I remember eating curry in Japan. Good stuff. I love Japanese-style curry. Me too. I like, honestly, any kind of curry. I've never met a curry that I didn't like. Like I had a curry the, with like soy cutlets, breaded and fried soy on it, kind of to be like pork tonkatsu type. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Even that cow brain curry, pretty tasty. With all those spices in there, man, can't go wrong. Yeah, it wasn't the flavor that bothered me. It was the consistency and fattiness of the brain. And maybe psychologically knowing that I was eating a brain. And this was obviously before I was vegan, so a long time ago. It was quite a while ago. But don't regret the experience. You know, you got to try things. I didn't go back. I don't think either of us went back for a second time. I mean, there's so many restaurants in Los Angeles. Yeah. A restaurant's got to be special for you to go back, you know? Yeah, but there were some that I did go back to again definitely. and again. And I'm just saying the Calbrain curry wasn't one of those. I definitely thought about going back for that uh, avocado smoothie, though. Oh, man. Yeah. It was like too much, though. It was like too much avocado. Like, especially the fattiness of the avocado and then the fattiness of the cow brain curry. I was like, what? Too much fat. I would have split one with you, though, gladly. I would never say those three words, too much fat. That's not, not a problem for me. <laughs> All right, well, we're getting to keto soon, so we could talk about so much fat. Yeah. All right. So next up, we're going to talk about some religious dietary restrictions. And this is honestly probably the section that I have the least for. And part of it is because that's kind of a big category, you know? It depends on your specific religion and how strict you are about it. You know, again, you know more about your personal diet than, than we do. Yeah. And I think, for me, researching about this, you're going to have a really tough time outside of Tokyo or the other very major cities. If you want it to be like certified kosher or certified halal or something like that, but if you want it to be probably that, you're going to have a much easier time. But there just aren't places in Japan doing a lot of certified stuff outside of Tokyo or the other very major cities. Yeah. I mean, religious restrictions are just not common in Japan, you know? Almost everybody in Japan is Japanese. Almost every Japanese person is Buddhist or Shinto or some mix of the two. And there, there aren't any dietary restrictions beyond the vegetarian for Buddhist monks that we already talked about. Right. But even like most Buddhist people aren't vegetarian. Right, right. But they might have some understanding of what it means. Mm -hmm. well, I think a lot of people, their only dietary restriction relating to their religion might be to avoid pork, right? It depends. So I was looking into like kosher and halal a little bit mm -hmm. and like, yes, no pork. But even outside of that, if you're strict, 
like animals have to be slaughtered in a very specific certain way following this step, that step, this step. And like most places aren't doing that in a way that you're going to be able to know for sure that they're doing that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you're just like, ah, I'm on vacation, I'm just not going to eat pork or I'm not going to drink alcohol. You can absolutely do that. Yeah. But if you're, if you're going to be super strict to one of those diets or some other similar, there's many other religious diets that we're not going to talk about specifically, but you're, you're going to have a m- much harder time. Yeah. I just wanted to say, if you are a person that just wants to avoid pork, that's going to be easy. Yep. You know, just avoid anything with ton, T-O-N in the name. That's like in tonkatsu or tonkotsu yeah. ramen. That's, pork that is, indicates the pig part. Pork is heavily featured, but most places that serve pork they're also probably going to have dishes with other meats or without pork on them. But then you might have the cross-contamination in the kitchen if you're worried about that as well. But you can get something without the pork on it. Unless you go to a tonkatsu restaurant. There are a lot of restaurants that only do tonkatsu, but you know, yep. just don't go yeah, into those ones. Just don't go to those, yeah. So I found a pretty informative uh, website trying to learn more called halalinjapan.com. You could search on there for restaurants that were halal friendly, looked pretty cool, a lot of resources. I also heard people recommend that if you go to some of the ethnic restaurants, like if you go to an Indian restaurant or a Turkish restaurant in Japan, they're probably going to be a lot more easily able to accommodate you because they're going to culturally understand where you're coming from. But a lot of those places serve alcohol too. So keep that in mind if that's a factor for you. Let's talk about the gluten-free diet. Gluten can be tough to avoid because Japan was flooded with wheat in the mid-1900s and it made its way into all sorts of foods. You know, Paul, in college, I had a roommate with celiac disease and I was just kind of shocked at how many things she couldn't eat because of that. And uh, I noticed that one of the things that really helped her out was that they make a lot of gluten-free options where just instead of using wheat, use rice. Like she would get boxed mac and cheese where the noodles were made from rice instead of wheat. Yeah. And like we said, rice is a huge staple in Japan. So that can be really helpful if you're trying to stay away from gluten. I feel, yeah, I feel bad for people that have to be gluten-free because I've tried rice noodles. I've tried like chickpea noodles and stuff that they make to be gluten-free. And it's just not not good. For me, at least, it doesn't hit the spot. Maybe for some people it does, but I know you always tell me stuff's crappy when it's vegan, and I'm like, no. I don't say that, No, Paul. it's good. I know it's good. But I just like, I try a rice noodle, and it's like all mushy and falling apart and doesn't have quite the flavor, and I'm just like, uh, this just isn't the same. And the bread, too. It's tough to have no bread. You know, pizza dough, no eating pizza anymore. Oh, my gosh. Hamburger? You can't have a hamburger with a bun? Jeez, Paul. You're really rubbing it in for our listeners that are gluten-free, aren't you? It's tough. Man, your life must be terrible. I mean, you can find substitutes for pretty much everything that's gluten-free. So if you really get the craving, you you can find the substitute. But you just got to make the most of it you know what? I can't eat that thing. There's still plenty of delicious things I can eat and I'm just going to eat them and live my life and be okay. 
Well, I don't know if they need our, our life advice about how to deal with being gluten-free. You but. know what? Maybe somebody does, Jason. <laughs> Maybe somebody out there is struggling and needs some words of encouragement. Maybe. Anyway, let's talk about some gluten-free options <laughs> in Japan, huh? Sure, sure. So one food that you might think would be safe is sushi. Because it's just rice, right? Yeah, sure. Well, actually, sushi rice is seasoned rice. And one thing it is seasoned with is vinegar. And some types of vinegar can contain gluten, apparently. I was not aware of this. Yeah, I wasn't either. So that's... See, this is the kind of thing I was talking about, where it's like just more complicated than I thought it would be. Also, most soy sauce contains gluten. And, I mean, what is sushi without soy sauce? You know? Yeah. That being said, a lot of sushi is gluten-free. You just need to check the ingredients wherever possible. And maybe you want to bring your own gluten-free soy sauce. Because they do make gluten-free soy sauce. Yeah. One thing that is always gluten-free related to sushi is sashimi. Yep. It's just thinly sliced raw fish. As long as there's not a sauce on it, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So that's good news if you like raw fish like I do. For this reason, fish markets can be a really great place to find a lot of stuff you can eat. They got all sorts of super fresh seafood, sea urchin, oysters, sashimi of all sorts. I would just wander around a fish market and eat anything that caught my eye. I mean, that's what I do anyway. And of course, rice features very prominently in Japanese cuisine. So rice is always a go-to, as long as they don't put anything weird on it. You'll want to avoid noodles generally, of course, because they're usually made with wheat. But what about soba, Paul? What are soba noodles made from? They're made from buckwheat, which buckwheat is not wheat. not have gluten? It does not. I didn't know that. Yeah. But there's always a but with this stuff. Yeah. Historically, soba noodles were made only with buckwheat. But these days, even in Japan, soba noodles are often made with a mixture of wheat and buckwheat. Mm. But if you do a little research, it is possible to find places that use 100% buckwheat in their soba. Nice. Yeah, yeah, soba's great. It is. It just had wheat in the name. I always assumed. I know. It's weird. It's ah, a weird name. All the things you think you know in life. Can't assume anything. You know what happens when you assume things, Paul? You, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're, you're often wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I think that's a, the saying. I think that's, I think that's the saying. Uh, so I have some kombini options for gluten-free people. Too. Ooh. Onigiri, again, the rice balls. Yeah. Salmon, umeboshi, kimchi, all that is gluten-free. But I get this. I saw that some onigiri do include wheat somehow. What? I'm not sure exactly why, but if you look at the ingredients label, apparently some of them have wheat in them. Yeah, and a lot of things are not labeled with gluten, which in Japanese is... Guruten. Guruten. And so it may be labeled, but it may not be labeled on there. Yeah. You might have to look at the other ingredients to see if there's any type of flour in there. Other than buckwheat flour, I guess. Mm-hmm. Also at the Kombini, they pretty much always have hard-boiled eggs. Not the most interesting food, perhaps, but they are safe. If you buy them, like, in the shell. They usually just have a package of a couple of them still in the shell. You just buy those and peel them, and there you go. Soy joy, granola bars. We already mentioned those. 
Most of those are gluten-free. Again, you'll want to check the ingredients. Get this, Paul. I never tried these. I think maybe I saw these in Japan. In the fall, specifically, konbini often sell fresh roasted chestnuts. Nice. Yeah. Those are gluten-free. Yeah, that'd be great. Going back to rice, you can get bags of instant rice at the konbini. Microwave it at your hotel room or ask them to microwave it in the konbini. That'll work if you just need some calories. Perfect. And then maybe you buy some other little meat type thing that you can stick on top of the rice, and there you go. You got a little meal. Daifuku. Going back to mochi. Daifuku is basically mochi, which is that rice dough we talked about, wrapped around something sweet usually. Red bean paste or some other flavored paste. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Black sesame paste, perhaps. That's a really good one. But again, you'll want to check the ingredients if you get these at a kombini because sometimes they use a starch syrup that has gluten in it. But I saw that if you're going to a vendor that specifically specializes in daifuku, like they're going to make them fresh. They're not going to be using that uh, starch syrup, you know? They're going to be using more natural ingredients or, or whatever. Okay. You're probably safe at a place like that. That's cool. The best advice, I think, though, is to just do the research on the specific cities that you're visiting. You know, same as Paul was talking about with the vegan diet, there have been enough gluten-free tourists in Japan that there are tons of resources out there. You will find lists of specific restaurants that are safe for gluten-free people. One specific resource that I saw recommended is called The Essential Gluten-Free Guide to Japan which is at legalnomads.com. It's super long and super thorough, and read through all that and you will be well prepared. Should we talk about the keto diet for a little bit? We should. That's been kind of popular the last few years. It is. Someone very close to me is on a keto diet, and a coworker I just learned recently is also on that. Ah, that's what your dad's been doing, right? I want to say specifically, I don't know that he wants me talking about his uh, his diet on the interwebs. Gotta do what you gotta do for the downloads, bro. All right. Well, my dad doesn't listen to the podcast anyway, so he'll never know. <laughs> Unless my mom tells him, oh man. <laughs> so the keto diet is a diet, very low in carbohydrates, like grains and sugar, and high in fat and protein. And this can be tough in Japan, because like we said, noodles and rice are staples that appear in almost every meal, and those are a lot of carbohydrates. Japan is also really good at hiding sugar in things. I think everywhere is like that now. Definitely here, too. The incredible amount of stuff that sugar is in. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Sushi is obviously going to be off-limits for a keto diet. Yep. But sashimi is not, again. If you like raw fish, eat as much as you want. Fish markets are great for this. Like I said earlier. Yeah. Yeah, keto, you're going to have to go a little bit out of your way, but you're going to find a lot of success in Japan. There's going to be a lot of good stuff you could eat. One really good tip I saw is to order off of the appetizer menu at restaurants because, you know, we talked about how rice is going to be in almost every meal, but that's with the main course. You're not going to get a bowl of rice along with the appetizer that you order usually. Yeah. Yeah, I saw some people that were keto- just saying, ah, it was easier just to like order a normal meal and just don't eat the rice. Yeah. Just don't eat the bowl of rice. 
don't even worry about trying to like communicate to the server. Like I don't want those type of calories. Like just leave the carbs on the plate is what they were saying. Yeah. Made their lives easier. But there's other ways to go about it if you don't want to waste food or you don't want to do that. One thing that I think is really good to look for is skewered meat. Yep. Going to want to look for the words kushiyaki, which is kind of a general term for skewered meat. And then yakitori is specifically skewered chicken. Mm -hmm. And these can come with a sauce on them that can be sugary, but there's also usually a salt option or shio. Shio is salt in Japanese. So ask for the shio option instead of the sauce option and you should be okay. Yeah. You could do the unique Japanese invention of the hamburger steak. Just a basically a hamburger without a bun. Maybe even without veggies, just a big fat burger on your plate. Yeah, no, it's just it's just a round ball of ground beef, basically. Yeah. When we went to a Kobe beef restaurant, actually, in Tokyo, my fiance got a hamburg steak made with Kobe beef. Wow, wow. Yeah. I always felt like the wrap on ground beef around here was like, not your highest quality meat. It's just like something you throw together for a quick burger. So it's like interesting to hear them like doing that as a fancy dish. Yeah. Oh, we ground it. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, it was a little bit cheaper than if you just got a Kobe beef steak. Yeah. But it was still like... I mean, it's expensive. It's still high quality beef, you know? Yeah, it's probably the lead. It's the, the edges they cut off to make the other stuff look nice, ground it up. And yeah. Give them a discount. Yep. Yakiniku. Oh, man. If I was doing the keto diet, I would just be eating yakiniku at every meal. Barbecue, right? Yeah, it's like Korean barbecue, if you've ever had that. We have it in America here. It's basically you sit down and there's a grill built into your table and you just order pieces of meat that you then grill yourself at the table. And, oh man, it's one of my favorite foods in the world. Actually, there was a yakiniku place in Ikebukuro that I went to on my first trip, and they asked if I wanted rice. And, you know, normally I eat rice, but I'm like, I don't need any rice. Just bring me all the meat, you know? I needed to save room for all that meat. And I did not regret it one bit. (laughs) Also, miso soup, even something so basic. Edamame, we mentioned before, both easy, common, good choices. And so alcohol is high in carbs, right? But sure. if you want a drink with a, as little amount as carbs or reasonable-ish amount of carbs, I heard recommended one of my favorite drinks, the Japanese highball. Oh, yeah. Because it's just whiskey and soda water. So no mixer with sugar being added at all. You're only getting the carbs from the alcohol itself. Yep. Or if you're a shots type person, just go with those unsweetened strong spirits, you know? Yeah, just get some Japanese whiskey, neat. Sip, sip, delicious. Yep. Shabu shabu is a good option. Yeah, yeah. What's shabu shabu? Shabu shabu is basically thinly sliced meat along with vegetables, that you cook in a broth. There's like this broth in front of you, and you usually get to choose like the type of broth that you want. And then you, I mean, the shabu-shabu name comes from the sound of swishing the meat (laughs) in your broth to cook it. Yeah, and the meat cooks, it's so thin, it cooks in like a minute or so, right? Or 30 seconds or whatever, depending on how well done you want it. 
as for fruits, generally, most fruits are not good for keto because they usually have a lot of sugar in them, but berries are okay. And there are parts of Japan that are known for having very high quality produce. I know that we've talked about places on past episodes where you can actually go pick your own strawberries and things like that. Yeah. And I have a few kombini options. Okay. They're keto friendly. That's here. I saw chicken salads recommended. I did too. I heard every kombini has a chicken salad you can grab for a quick snack. Yeah. Sounds like a good one. People like chicken salad. I was averse to mayo when I was younger for whatever reason. Me too when I was a kid, but now I love it. I finally learned to love it, but now I get the vegan mayo, which is actually really good, I think. Maybe not as good as Japanese mayo, uh, Jason's favorite thing in the whole world. There is no better mayo. But there is no Japanese vegan mayo, so maybe that's just why. But anyways, like, so I never ate like potato salad or chicken salad or any of that stuff growing up because I just didn't like mayo. So, yeah, and now I just still don't eat any of that stuff. Oh, man, Paul, I feel dumb now because when I read chicken salad, I thought, okay, a salad, like a bed of lettuce with sliced chicken on it. Oh. <laughs> it did not occur to me that this is chicken salad. And honestly, maybe you can find both. Right. Now that you're saying that, I'm doubting my interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> also at the Combini, hard-boiled eggs again. Yep. Meats and cheeses, you know... A lot of times they have, I mean, you can get packaged like dried meats and cheeses that are good to snack on. They also have like little trays of crab meat or shrimp or, I don't know, in the refrigerated section, they just have all these little trays of things that you wouldn't really normally think to eat on its own, but a lot of them are just, you know, meat and seafood that is totally keto-friendly. I know they have sushi at Kombini's. Do they have sashimi at kombinis? Do you remember ever getting that? Or is that just like a little too fresh to put out to a kombini? I don't remember ever buying sashimi, but they have sushi with raw fish on there, so why wouldn't they have sashimi too? Yeah, yeah. so maybe you could get some sashimi. Something to look for, I guess. (laughs) If you go to a grocery store, you could find a little slab of, you know, sashimi that's ready to slice up. You could just pick that up and chow down on a chunk of fish. Yeah, have you ever done sashimi where you didn't slice it thinly, where you just like took a bite out of a big chunk of it? When we lived in LA, I loved to go to the Japanese market there because you could get slabs of fish that are sashimi grade and like beautiful and delicious. But you know, when it comes to Japanese cuisine, a big part of it is the presentation, right? And I just feel like sashimi doesn't taste as good if you just pick up a big chunk of fish and like eat it like a like a chicken finger mm. or something you know yeah. what i mean you need you need to slice it it's probably a little chewy if you don't slice it and then you want to dip it you want to be able to like dip a lot of surface area into the uh, soy sauce yeah yeah get a little wasabi on there maybe okay but at the same time sometimes i make sushi rolls and i'm just too lazy to slice it up so i just have this big stick of sushi that i dip in soy sauce and just, <laughs> yeah man Now it occurred to me, I was just at the state fair a couple days ago, and you know how everything's on a stick there? Why don't they have sushi rolls on a stick? You could just make a big, long sushi roll, jam a stick into it. I bet people would buy that. I mean, are sushi rolls tight enough to like really work on a stick? If you roll them correctly, they'll hold together. Okay. Maybe I should open that business. You'd have to deep fry it. 
Sushi on a stick, well, deep fried. I was going to say that would ruin it. batter. American sushi is often fried. I bet I... You, if you want somebody's going to gonna steal that idea. at the fair. This is the Midwest, dog. You got to yeah. deep fry it. Oh, that would totally work. I'm going to have to think more about this. <laughs> uh, last thing I have for the keto diet is I saw it recommended to drink a lot of green tea because it is inexpensive, it curbs hunger, and it keeps you hydrated. And I can attest to the curbs hunger part. I drink green tea every day, and it's kind of amazing how long you will feel full with a couple cups of tea in you. Can't drink too much green tea. Are you saying that it's impossible to drink too much green tea or that if you do drink too much, you'll be in trouble? I can't tell what you're getting at. It's impossible. Okay. Except for that episode of Haruhi where Yuki just keeps filling up Kion's cup and he just keeps drinking it because he doesn't know what else to do and it's all awkward. And then he's like, I'm going to explode. Yeah. Right? Right? Yeah. Yep. That's, I know what you're talking about. We're not doctors, though. It's probably possible to drink too much green tea. Don't <laughs> quote us on that. It's possible to drink too much anything. Yeah. Okay, well, that's all of the dietary restrictions that are in my notes. I'm sorry if you have a restriction that we did not cover, but if you need info about it, I'm sure you can find some websites to help you out. Yeah. So last thing I have here is just some general tips that apply to any situation you might be in. Sure. Can I start? Sure. Please be aware that menu descriptions are sometimes vague and often don't list all the ingredients. So you might be surprised what ends up coming with what you ordered. That is good advice. If in doubt, ask. Yeah. I wanted to go back and just reiterate what we said about getting a card that explains your dietary restrictions in Japanese. That could be really useful, I think. Absolutely. That's probably like the number one piece of advice I would pass on from this if you're like seriously struggling to try to maintain one of these diets mm -hmm. in Japan. Another one is learn the kanji for the thing that you can't eat so that you can just scan through those ingredients labels, look for that kanji, and if you see it, you know, I'm not going to eat this. Good advice. If you're going to a fancy restaurant, maybe it's a Michelin star restaurant, maybe you're going to a fancy kaiseki place, if it's a place that takes reservations, you're going to want to let them know about your dietary restrictions in advance. Yes. Meals at those type of places are planned out well in advance, and prepared for, and the ingredients bought. So some of them will be willing to accommodate you, but when you make those reservations, you have to let them know so that they can prepare much ahead of time. You cannot drop that on them when you show up. You will not get a meal. Yep. I think it's a good idea to have a list of go-to foods that are widely available. That's why I had all the kind of kombini options for each of them. Yeah. Like, it's just, if you're starving... It's good to know that you can go to the nearest kombini and get something. Yeah, I mean, I remember when we were there, I got like that sesame rice ball like four different times because it was like, ah, I think I'm going to need something to carry me over today. And I figured out like Family Mart's usually got it. It's something they always seem to have in stock. So I'd just find a Family Mart and go grab my rice ball and maybe one or two other things. And it was one of my go-tos yeah. to help keep me going. Mm-hmm. But if you don't want to have to, you know, go for your last resort, 
The way to avoid that is just do a lot of planning. Do as much planning as you can before your trip. You can go to Google, type in your dietary restriction and the name of a city that you're going to be in, and you will find lists of specific restaurants that will accommodate you. And if you want to be super careful, it might even make sense to find a hotel or even an apartment that you can rent that has a kitchenette in it so that you can cook your own food. Yeah. That's really the only way that you can know for sure that you're getting something that you can eat. True. Uh, And then you can do some research about what ingredients you can pick up at the grocery store because they might not have the specific things that you're used to finding at home. I think that's a wonderful point, Jason. Thank you. We've talked how hard a lot of these things are and how tricky and difficult they can be. But even if you have a serious issue, you can still travel to Japan. Might just be a best option to cook for yourself, just to be 100% sure. Mm -hmm. Fry a fish up with a little salt and pepper, and you know what's not in there, and you know what is in there. Well, Paul, that's the end of my notes, but I just thought of one more thing. I don't know why I didn't think of it until now, Okay, but I think this could be useful, potentially. Okay. And maybe this only makes sense if you're like, you want to be really cautious or something. So, Paul, I'm sure I've mentioned to you Soylent before, right? Yeah, I've had Soylent. What can you tell us about Soylent? It's a meal replacement. It's supposed to be every nutrient and calorie that your body would need for a day. And at least the ones I had, they sold in one-fifth serving size. So you drink like five of these a day, and you got your 2,000 calories, you got all your vitamins and minerals, you got your proteins, you got everything your human body needed. Yeah. So I believe Soylent is vegan. I believe so too, at least last I saw. But this isn't an ad for Soylent. Honestly, Soylent is a little expensive if that's like going to be the only thing that you know, you're eating. And it's going to be probably not possible to find it in Japan. And it's going to be really hard to bring a bunch into Japan, at least in liquid form. You can buy powdered form of it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, oh, you could bring a pouch of the powder and it could at least be some fill-in meals for you if needed. Yeah, Although you, you might need to bring a shaker bottle too or whatever. Yeah, but. you just mix it with water and then you, you got it. But besides the name brand stuff, well, besides the Soylent name brand anyway, there are other brands that make a similar product that cater to specific diets. Like I know there's a version that's keto-friendly and you just order bags of this powder, I'm sure they have it for various diets, you know? So maybe something to look into. I don't know. Just throwing that out there as an option. No, that's a good idea. Well, should we end it on that then? That's it for me. Okay. Well, if you want to learn more about all sorts of things relating to Japan, check out our website, sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. We also have a contact page there where you can write to us. We also have a donate page if you would like to help support the podcast. Paul, what are we talking about next time? Our next one's going to be a good one. It's time for another Halloween special. Woohoo! Ready to bring out that goblin voice, Jason? Oh, I cannot wait. We're going to be talking about haunted places in Japan. I freaking love this stuff. I know I say that every year. That the Halloween episode is, you know, I get very excited. But when I was a kid, I loved and, uh, reading. Huh? You loved reading about serial killers. Yeah, I saw your book selection. I mean, yeah, but that's not what I was going to say. 
<laughs> okay, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just thought I would let everyone know that that that's that's how you are. I mean, I wasn't into serial killers when I was like five. You know, I yeah, we were teenagers when we met. So to be fair, sure. Well, I said when I was a kid. I don't. I mean, whatever. Teenagers are kids, I guess. Borderline. Point is, when I was actually a kid, a young young child, I was really into like ghost stories and reading about haunted places. Like uh, I would, I would get books of like lists of places in the U.S. that were supposed to be haunted, and read about all the creepy things that happened there. Oh, I love it, and I'm really excited to dig into these types of places in Japan. Me too. Can't wait. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Tofu's vegan, and it can be. Blah, 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 blah. Tofu is. What did I say? Tofu is delicious. And tofu can be prepared in a ton of different ways, many of which are vegan.